Welcome to the Zucchini Warriors, a Gordon Corman podcast. We are your hosts, Shira and Asher. And wow, do we have an important episode for you guys. Arguably the biggest in our history. <laughs> Certainly from one person's perspective. I feel like your wedding, your bar mitzvah, and now the recording of Our Man Weston got to be the top three days of your lives. Yeah, but that's the wrong order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, so Ash has been obsessed with this book for as long as I can remember, certainly. Yeah, I have. But what's interesting is we got it, at least in my memory, or like we had this book a little bit later than the McDonald Hall books. So I yeah. read it not, probably not as much, but I definitely was like, I remember the first time I read it, I was just like, ranting and raving about how it's like the best book I ever read and I have I haven't really stopped doing that for the last like 25 years <laughs> yeah so we're we're pretty excited if you're noticing that Asher sounds um clear and crisp in his audio that's thanks to our committee and coalition and all our other donors who have chipped into the GoFundMe, we now have been able to buy our first microphone. Yes, thank you so much. I, it's not all those lessons with, uh, with the queen. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like I'm trying to think of that movie where like that. Oh, the king's speech? The king's speech or maybe like the king and I, is, does that happen uh, there too? Oh, or My Fair Lady? My Fair Lady, yeah. That's what I'm <laughs> There's no queen. It's not because of that. It's because of your generous contributions to allow us to buy this microphone. So thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And speaking of, we do just want to shout out Shailene, who's our first member of the Scrimettes. We're excited to Zoom with Shailene at some point in the future. And we also got a, a very sizable donation from an anonymous donor. We're really grateful to them. So they, they both put us over the top. So we were able to get Ashy outfitted there. So our GoFundMe is still open and um our rewards are still rolling and yeah i mean yeah we'd like to ideally be able to get uh shira a permanent mic right now she does have a good one but it's sort of on loan from her work and so you know they could call upon it at any time at any moment <laughs> should things go awry with her career so we don't want to bank on that we don't want the podcast to be impacted when she, you know, goes down in flames for something or another. <laughs> I mean, technically they did tell me it was only for first semester and first semester has ended as of yesterday. So, <laughs> so we're on borrowed time here, folks. We're on borrowed time. Um, yeah, but we're really pleased that we were able to make that first purchase and hopefully it's paying off and you can hear all of Ashy's um, great, is it elocution? What is it? Would you say articulation? um i don't know what elocution is uh, I, are you Probably. trying to say electrocution <laughs> i know you're not yeah. that was just a little joke yes i am <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know and i will say that j just like on the off chance it still sounds weird or something it's no fault of the mic it's just because we don't know how to like <laughs> do stuff we're still like experimenting with methods and things like that so like how to record he means how to record yeah so the mic is great whether hopefully you can tell 
Um, and if you can't, don't blame yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, we also are very excited because we have a question from a coalition member in our Room 306 segment. That's very exciting. I love when that happens. Yeah, we love those. Okay, I really feel like we should dive in because the other thing we should tell our listeners is that the plot of this book is dense, it's intricate, and so doing a plot summary may be actually impossible. I think it's truly impossible. Literally every single sentence in this book is like a plot point. So trying to like figure out what we should be mentioning and leaving out is like a Herculean task. And Mm. it like, since we don't compare notes beforehand, I think we'll probably find that in some cases, one of us has gone into like way too much detail or not nearly enough, because honestly, this would be like a 12 hour podcast, at least if we covered everything. So And it might, we don't know. Yeah, that's true. I would say that like more than, I know it's not like super possible for everyone, but if you have the means or already have this book handy, I would like strongly encourage you to hit pause right now, read the book and mm. then come back because wow. it's good. We're, it's going to be like, probably I'm just guessing like pretty hard to follow if you <laughs> haven't you read the book. <laughs> I'm just guessing it's going to be hard. For, I don't know. I don't trust us to do like it yeah. justice in explaining it because oh we're certainly not going to do it justice but hopefully you'll still be able to follow and it'll be interesting to see like which parts we pick up on like one person picks up on and the other one doesn't yeah. um but let's stop talking about it and let's do it sounds good okay now it's time for our first real segment which is of course sydney ramplotsky where we go over the plot of, in this case, our man Weston. Sydney Ramplotsky, coming in hot. Sydney Ramplotsky, don't know what he got. (laughs) Wow, really Uh, putting the new mic to the test. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear how they pick up my S's. Yeah, yeah. You sounded like a snake. That's that was the vibe I was going for. Yeah, it was cool. Okay, here we go. So the book opens with Tom and Sydney Weston. I gotta stop you even before that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, you're jumping way too far ahead. Uh, That was page one. (laughs) Yes, to the untrained reader perhaps okay. but you may have noticed that this book is dedicated uh, to igor kovalik or kovalik perhaps yeah um so i did a like six second google search oh my goodness <laughs> i found igor kovalik and there is a mclean's article from 1985 about gordon corman and there's a quote from igor kovalik in it so i thought maybe i would read it great okay so this is just about like gordon corman being great from Mm -hmm. 1985 cool and this sentence says recalled assistant film editor and longtime friend igor kovalik he is not the kind of guy to flaunt his success in fact if anyone found out he always played it down saying yeah i wrote a couple of books and that is from igor kovalik whoa 
And Igor Kovlik, I can say, um, is a successful editor. Mostly looks like music videos he does. He's worked with on the REM, on an REM music video, Linkin Park, Black Eyed Peas, a couple other, uh, Katy Perry, it looks like, perhaps. Um, So he's doing very well for himself as well. So I wonder if if he also plays down his success. I would imagine. Wow, great pals. Um, <laughs> yeah. Incredible research. Thank you. Um, I'm nervous to literally say anything now. <laughs> I've been waiting for that moment for like, <laughs> I took these notes like a month ago and I've just been waiting. <laughs> um, it's also like a cute dedication, isn't he talking about them um, living in New York together or something? I think so. I think there is a nice yeah. note. Um, yeah, so it's adorable. two pals. Hopefully they still keep in touch. Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do. Okay. Permission to continue. Granted. So the book opens with Tom and Sidney Weston, who are twin brothers. Interestingly, we don't know how old they are. Corbin doesn't like to box people into ages. Um, So they're like old enough to work at a hotel, but they still seem kind of young. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so they're on a train heading to their new jobs as service boys at Pine Grove Resort Hotel. And if anyone was wondering what has endeared Asher to this book for so many years, I don't think we have to look any further than the first page where we find out that they are eating tuna sandwiches. I'm so glad you said that. I have written here in brackets, Tom eating tuna. (laughs) My, yes, my lunch of choice from i think grade one to grade 12 so super relatable right off the bat for me <laughs> just a wash in mercury probably um i wanted to save this question for room 306 but i did not end up doing so so let me ask you right now mayo or mustard for tom and sydney i think that traditional is definitely mayo um but i think Sydney is anything but traditional. So right. I'm going to say mu- mustard for Sydney, mayo for Tom. That is what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Um, okay, so they're eating their tuna, and we learn that they're a bit apprehensive about their boss, Mr. Parson, um, because he gave them a hard time in their interview. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I think it's so stupid how mean Parson is to them. <laughs> so mean. Why did you hire these people if you didn't trust them to do their jobs? Like no one forced you to hire them. Yeah, that's a great question. I guess the candidate pool was pretty shallow. Yeah, maybe. Um, So Tom is especially worried um, because he feels like Sydney is going to start investigating things, especially when Sydney mentions that the hotel is near a military airbase. And that's when we learn that Sydney is kind of famous for undertaking ill-fated investigations. Um, And these include thinking that their mother was a jewel smuggler and putting a bunch of nuns under citizen's arrest. So we get this idea that Sydney loves to investigate, thinks something is always up. And Tom is very worried, especially because their boss seems kind of mean. So the next scene, the boys are working at the hotel and we see this kind of play out because Sydney is like cleaning up after the guests, cleaning up their dirty dishes and stuff from room service. And he's trying to like piece together who these people are based on 
the clues that they've kind of left behind. Um, and Tom is getting just really frustrated with Sydney. He's like, you don't have to keep like thinking who these people are or trying to see like what they're up to, like just let people be, like there's not always something going on. Um, so they start bickering and Parson catches them and says that they're making too much noise. And then he also gets frustrated because he can't tell them apart. And that's like another one of uh, Tom's frustrations is that Sydney's going to get them in trouble. And um, in addition, people are going to think that he is Sydney and so on. So um, apparently they're very, what would you say? Very identical? Incredibly identical. Yeah, extra identical. Extra identical. Um, so then Sydney... Do you um, mind if I interrupt for one moment? I would, you got to interrupt the whole time. I've been <laughs> okay. talking for so long and I hate <laughs> um, I, I Around this point, there is a sentence in this book that like so perfectly encapsulates, I think, like what makes Gordon Corman such a funny and good writer, especially like for uh, younger readers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's similar to in uh, something fishy at McDonald Hall. Like, do you remember when, with the whole thing about that uh, poster with like the guy with the huge butt and like mm-hmm. the way and just the way he wrote it that was like so creative and was like to yeah. a lesser author it would have just been like he had a huge butt and yeah, yeah. the guy <laughs> wanted to like do something to it. Um, so that kind of comes again in this scene. I guess like Sydney is bending over or something. I didn't note who it was either Sydney or Parson probably Sydney mm-hmm. and the sentence is Tom resisted the temptation to kick the bent form <laughs> that's like that is art that is beautiful and also just... incredibly unnecessary <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, oh man I didn't remember that line from like you know I just I love that and I that's knew that right this book mouth. would hold up as soon as I read that line <laughs> Uh, so, um, so it basically comes out that Sydney brought these two huge suitcases, but they weren't full of clothes. They were full of his like equipment that he uses to investigate things. Um, and he hides it all over the room cause he's great at hiding things. So, so Tom can't even find the, um, stuff that Sydney brought, but he knows that he didn't, that he brought it cause he didn't bring any clothes. Um, and then there's some excitement because we are introduced to a new character, Edna Fuller, and she's a, an elderly lady, I believe. And she says her purse is missing. So Sydney like springs into action. He starts questioning her and they narrow in on a suspect, Mr. Kitzel, and uh, who's a guest. He's another guest at the hotel. And it's very funny because, well, there's a lot of great lines in the scene, but um, Sydney basically, Miss Fuller tells Sydney that she thinks Mr. Kitzel may have cheated at shuffleboard earlier. And Sydney responds, quote, so in other words, you would consider him a possibly deceitful person. <laughs> <laughs> and, then Tom, and then Tom finds the bag on the bureau. He's like, here's your purse. And Sydney just writes solved across his notes. <laughs> yeah, I, that's very good. It's, yeah, like Sydney's obviously fancies himself like a professional detective and Mm -hmm. like throughout the book we just get various examples from his past of how he's just like completely been like way off about everything and like put (laughs) the safety of those around him in jeopardy I guess like and he is like clueless about it he thinks he's great and there's an example like he writes solved 
as if like he solved yeah. anything. <laughs> like Tom just finds the purse. Um, so anyway, so then we get introduced to a few more people. Um, and the first two are R Richard Knight and Bert Cobber, who are together. So Knight is like cool, collected, smart, very uh, suave. Mm. And Cobber is like, the, he's like a loud oaf, just like <laughs> a very, that's what I wrote. Uh, just like a boisterous, annoying man. Um, so Cobber, or Cobber reveals that Knight is a spy and Knight's hired Cobber because Cobber is a pilot. So he's going to be doing something at the air base or at the military base. Mm -hmm. uh, so Knight tells him not to talk or even think about the air base and what they're doing is very illegal. So just act normal, pretend they're, you know, they're just two guests at the hotel having a good time. Uh, Cobber mentions that when he was a cadet, he was partners with Wings Weinberg. And we'll find out in a couple pages that <laughs> this is important. So then we get to the air base and we were introduced to Colonel Douglas Cartwright, who's like the commanding officer of the Trillium Air Base and Captain Snyder as well. And Snyder is excited because Wings Weinberg is coming to the base and he's going to test fly the Osiris HE-2, which is the most advanced aircraft in the world. And so when Weinberg arrives, everyone's super star starstruck because he's considered the greatest test pilot in the world. So this is a huge deal. And to, for him to be flying, you know, the fanciest plane of all time is very exciting for everyone at the base. I found it very unrealistic that the most advanced aircraft in the world was in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're trying to keep a low profile, but it is definitely <laughs> questionable. <laughs> And like in kind of, it sounds like sort of in the middle of nowhere on Ontario, but yeah. I guess that's just to hide it better. Got it. Uh, so Snyder at some point just like casually mentions something about Wings' mm -hmm. cadet days and Wings like goes pale and kind of starts acting weird, which will come up later. Uh, so then back to Sydney, he's developing photos <laughs> in his makeshift uh, darkroom of Lawrence Waghorn, who's a new guest and was acting suspicious because he was looking around nervously <coughs> and he was calling someone chief on the phone or Sydney overheard. Um, so Tom decides that he can see Sydney's already like up to his old tricks. So he's going to, it's going to be up to him to stop Sydney from ruining things and probably getting them fired. Uh, so we see Wag, Waghorn is on the phone with the chief as we heard Sydney over here um, and we find out Waghorn's a TV script writer and he's basically been sent there uh, to write a TV pilot and he has no ideas other than he knows it's supposed to be a spy story taking place in a hotel, but he's like got a severe case of writer's block. So then we're brought to table 19, which is uh, where sort of like the guests we care about all luckily are at. So right now it's, Kitzel, Fuller, Waghorn, Cobber, and Knight all eating dinner and making conversation. And Sydney covertly takes Waghorn's glass from the table so he can study it for fingerprints, I guess. And Knight, being an actual spy, uh, like notices and is sort of amused by it and confused probably as well. I really like how, um, like when Knight notices Sydney do stuff, that's like part of my favorite parts of the, of the book. Um, he's always very bemused. Yeah, he's bemused, exactly. 
So then uh, the next day, I think it is, um, Sydney is clearing away Waghorn's room service tray and he finds like a crumpled up sheet of paper that Waghorn's thrown and he can just make out, it says the word espionage. It's like, we know that this is from Waghorn's script, but Sydney thinks like, oh, he's a spy. So he freaks out and he drags Tom into a linen closet to tell him about it. But then <laughs> in the linen closet, Miss Fuller is there because she's spying on Mr. Kitzel, which is very funny. And Sydney says like, you know, there's a spy at this hotel. Um, presumably they're there to spy on the airbase. And so Fuller thinks it's Kitzel and she's like, I'm going to keep a watch on him. Don't worry about it. And Sydney basically like, can't get in, like get a word in to explain that it's actually Waghorn. So Fuller leaves thinking Kitzel's a spy. Sydney thinks Waghorn is the spy. And he decides that he is going to write to the authorities to tell them about it. So he's like, I got to write to the RCMP. I got to tell Department of National Defense. I got to write to the prime minister. Um, and then at lunch, back at table 19, I have a lot of thoughts about table 19, by the way, but I'll, I'll save them for now. But yeah, Miss Fuller starts like dropping hints to Mr. Kitzel about the hotel being like a great place for a spy to hang out. Um, and Cobber starts to freak out and choke on his food because he's like, oh no, they've found us. Um, but Knight is like not even a little bit concerned about this. Um, but Waghorn is super interested because he's like, ooh, spies at a hotel. Um, so he asks her to elaborate, hoping that she will kind of give him some ideas for his script. So she mentions the airbase being close by and she's like, they should be spying on the airbase. So Cobber freaks out even further and Waghorn runs off to write down these ideas because um, he's super excited. And Kitzel is just like basically generally oblivious that this is happening and that Fuller suspects him of anything. Um, and then later on, um, Knight and Cobber are playing golf again and Knight tells Cobber that he's going to help him steal I, I say it Osiris in my head, but I like the way that you said it. How did you say it? How did I say it? Osiris? Oh, Osiris. Osiris. I, th I, I think I've been saying Osiris, yeah. Osiris. But I certainly have no idea. Could be Osiris. Could be Osiris. I don't like Osiris. It's Osiris. Osiris it is. Yeah, so, so if, any, uh, if any plane expert, fictional plane experts are listening, yeah. write in and tell us how to say it. Please write it. Um, it's probably a real word. Uh, do you think? I'm going to look it up really quick. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's the Egyptian lord of the underworld and judge of the dead. <laughs> Brother husband to Isis and one of the most important gods of ancient Egypt. Wow. Oh, there is like the Wikipedia like pronunciation thing. Mm, do you know how but to I don't know how to like interpret it. <laughs> <laughs> It's All right, so, I'm going to try uh, yeah. to pronounce it differently every time I say it. Nice. So this time I will say Osiris. So their plan is to steal the Osiris, so Cobber's obviously going to fly it. And Knight tells Cobber that Wings is the test pilot um, for the base. And Cobber's like, oh, I know Wings from my cadet days. Um, then we cut to the Trillium Air Base and Snyder and Wings are talking. Have we introduced Snyder? I briefly did, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Great job. Thanks. So our friend Snyder um, starts mentioning his cadet days again for some reason. Like, it just comes up in conversation and Wings freaks out again. So everyone's like, what is up with this guy? And like, thinking about his cadet days. 
Then Sydney, back at the hotel, tries to plant a bug on Waghorn so that he can listen into his conversations, I guess. Um, but Tom sees Sydney do it and he removes it. And that is like kind of a common thing of like Sydney trying to plant people on suspects and Tom being like, ah, and like removing it or like stopping it from happening and causing like a general ruckus as he does so. Then um, the next day, Sydney swipes more carbon paper from Waghorn's trash. He sees more suspicious wording hinting that people are spying on the airbase for military secrets. Then um, he starts to listen to the listening device and he finds that two gardeners have found it because um, Tom like threw it into the bushes, I think. And they think it's a real bug, so they like just smash it. Um, but before they do that, Sydney hears that the gardeners were talking about someone named Blackie, who is a retriever. So Sydney thinks that this person is part of the mission. There's a guy named Blackie who's gonna like retrieve stuff. Um, do we we know at this point though that they're talking about a dog, right? Yeah, because they also say, yeah, that he's a killer when it comes to flowers, but Sydney just hears the killer. Oh, part. right, exactly. So they're talking about Parsons' dog named Blackie, who's a retriever. But yeah. Sydney thinks, yeah, he's a scary dude. Um, and then Sydney gets his paycheck, and Tom sends him into town to buy some clothes. So then we go back to the airbase where Wings is having like a breakdown. And he tells Snyder that he's traumatized from partnering with this guy, Bert Cobber, in his cadet days, who was the craziest pilot of all time. Uh, so <laughs> that sort of checks out based on what we know about Cobber. Uh, then we see Parsons walking his dog, Blackie, and he leaves it near Waghorn at some point. I forget why. Mm -hmm. And But since Sydney suspects Waghorn of you know, being a spy, Sydney thinks it's part of the, the operation. So... Uh, because he thinks they're using a dog to steal stuff from the airbase. So he steals the dog while Parsons gone um, and hides it in his room, which he shares he with Tom. Think, does he think that they're using a dog at this point? Um, I don't know. I wrote to use a dog to steal stuff from the base, but maybe he hasn't made that connection yet. I thought he only made the connection when he realizes like, oh, retriever means Labrador retriever. But doesn't really uh, matter. I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. read the book again. Write in if you've read the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Fuller is, Edna is still there uh, trying to convince Sydney that Kitzel is a spy. And it's kind of funny because like, like Sydney is so uh, like out of his mind, sort of like, or so like wrong about everything. Yeah. Uh, like generally and, you know, misplaced beliefs yeah. but like to anyone else like but then Edna is that to Sydney and like Sydney yeah. is the voice of reason to Edna because she's like even like beyond for Sydney you know which yeah, is exactly which That's is exactly pretty right. funny yeah. yeah um so then at dinner table 19 Edna is explaining uh, to the table how the dog would be useful to a spy. Um, so it's like interesting that the dog is missing and Waghorn runs away thinking, like thinking it's a good idea. So he's going to write about it. But I'm guessing Sydney sees that and thinks that is suspicious that he ran away. Um, so then, yeah. So then at some point around then, 
Knight gives Cobber a couple knockout drops in his drink uh, <laughs> so that he doesn't have to worry about him for the night. And he heads to the base, I guess, to do like some recon. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Sydney is reading the script fragments from uh, that he's like constantly collecting from Waghorn that he leaves on the room service trays. And he sees the spy dog referred to as, well, we would say Z2, but which even in my head, like even though I say Z, I still say Z2 when I. I hate that. I don't know why. I have no idea why. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I've never said it out loud before. Yeah, it's like cultural assimilation. That's how they get you. That's so strange. You gotta say Zed. I'm going to from now on. (laughs) Like I always say Zed when I see it, just in this case when it's referring to the dogs. I don't know why. Oh, this is really throwing me for a loop. Okay, Zed 2. So he's guessing that's what Blackie's sort of like code name is. And then Tom, I think, finds this 2. He also sees the scraps of paper. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he also is like aware of Z2 at yeah. this point. Um, then Knight comes back and he gives Cobber the stolen flight manual, which is the reason he went uh, stuck into the airbase. Mm-hmm. And he tells Cobber to memorize it because then they're going to burn it. Mm-hmm. And then Parson sees Tom in the lobby, but he thinks he's Sydney. So he gives him these letters that have come in from the RCMP, the OPP, et cetera, that Sydney has been writing. And uh, Parsons scolds Tom thinking he's Sydney. Yeah. And then Edna comes in and defends Tom because, and like basically yells at Parson for like yelling at a kid for getting letters. And she's right. She she's was like, totally right. She was like, he's your employee and he's allowed to get letters and like yeah. interfering with his mail. Um, I also really like that she's like, and anyone can see that this is Tom, not Sydney. She's the <laughs> yeah. only one who can tell them apart, which is so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Parson, what are you doing? Parson sucks. Sucks. Okay, so Tom gives Sydney his mail, and we get some really, really hilarious stuff. Like we know that Corman is so good at writing hilarious correspondence. Mm-hmm like a very specific but clear skill of his and i really think that like these like the letters in in this book in particular are like the funniest the best so funny um so just a few highlights i'll provide um so the ministry of transportation say well first of all everyone who writes to him is like oh it's great to hear from you again like we get the sense that like sydney is regularly writing to these people about like the various plots that he thinks he's uncovered. So they say, the Ministry of Transportation says they've been taking bets on when they'd hear from him again. They say, quote, it's been two months since you inquired about the Sunday school bus you decided was smuggling cocaine and we missed you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The RCMP likewise say they're really happy to hear from Sydney again. Also everyone like signs it on their first name, with their first name, they'd be like, best steve or whatever yeah um so anyway the rcmp write quote i guess things have been pretty quiet since the salvation army tried to take over the world but then the opp ontario provincial police for those not in the know hates it (laughs) and they just write stop bothering us (laughs) and i love that it's the opp specifically who like don't have a sense of humor and hates it yeah and they're yeah and their letters get progressively angrier as the book goes on. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. And then, um, so at that point, so Sydney 
decides that if you know these uh, organizations aren't going to do anything, it's sort of up to him. So he calls the airbase to warn them, and they're super confused by like what he's saying. <laughs> they're like, I think a parson was mentioned and a dog, and like we just don't understand what's happening. Um, and so then Knight and Cobber do a dry run of sneaking onto the airbase, and so while they're on the airbase, Cobber can't help himself and like peeks through a window and it happens to be where Wings his bedroom is. So Wings sees like what he thinks is Cobber through the window. So he has a total freak out. Uh plugs in his nightlight, which the colonel trips over in the morning and smashes himself. <laughs> so just like a general funny visual. Um so the colonel's like becoming increasingly frustrated, I think, with like the supposedly best um test pilot in the world being like mm-hmm. so eccentric and odd and, and, and like just really worried that he's not going to come through for that yeah very worried because he knows like he's toast if this doesn't go well mm-hmm. um so then sydney reads from waghorn's garbage as usual then he finds out that Z 4 is coming and wouldn't you know it uh, an eastern <laughs> european artist um arrives at the hotel named vishnik and he has a dog Mm. Um, I'm assuming he's Eastern European sort of by the way he talks I don't think they specifically say what country he's from wow okay so write in if you're from Eastern Europe and that <laughs> you. I don't think that's offensive but I think <laughs> that's just how someone would write how they speak um, but yes please write in um, so then Waghorn is just like walking around and he goes into the gym where a man named David Bishop is the trainer there and it's Bishop, for some reason, that suggests that Waghorn's story could be that spies are after a secret airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote in brackets, if Waghorn couldn't think of that, knowing about the airbase, he is a pretty bad writer. Yeah, well, I think it's pretty <laughs> clear Waghorn's not great at his Yeah, job. that's true. But like, yeah, that sort of seems pretty obvious to me and to David Bishop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So Sydney overhears them having this conversation. And so he hides in a closet, but he finds Mr. Kitzel there, who's also hiding from Edna Fuller. So then Fuller arrives as Kitzel leaves, and she's still convinced Kitzel's a spy. Meanwhile, Sydney is like trying to figure out exactly what he just heard. Um, then I guess back to table 19. Oh, where... can I interrupt for one second? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, somewhere in between that, um, Sydney gets a letter from the Department of National Defense, um, where he's like written about his suspicions uh, to them about Waghorn, and they write basically they're saying like we feel sorry for this guy if you if he's one of your suspects, and they write quote perhaps he is a religious man and can find solace in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's such a good line. All the, yeah, all the letters are super funny. I don't think I wrote any of them down, which I now regret, but I'm glad you're filling in these blanks. That might be the last one I have, but they're, I mean, they're unreal. They're so funny. Yeah. Even if you don't read the book, you should read all the letters. Read all the letters. Um, okay. So Vishnik wants to paint Knight because <laughs> you know, he's like a handsome man. Um, Edna suggests that Wait, 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 wait. No, oh, I have I have this line. Okay, Uh, yeah. I'm guessing it's the same line. If it's not, then let me know. Okay. Uh, So Edna suggests he paint Kitzel instead, and Vishnik says, pointing at night, he is like Greek god. He is like toad with full mouth. 
Ah, okay. It's not the line I chose. Oh, wow. Okay. But that well, line is also great. <laughs> he says, right before that, he says tonight, you are beautiful, yes? Vishnik will paint you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, all so good. What's a yeah. What is a full mouth? Like full of food? Or just yeah, like I think that because Kitzel's like eating a lot throughout the book. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Full mouth. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. And you know, like maybe toads have like those like jow like jowls if they were a human. I don't know what it's <laughs> called on a toad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh very but true. yeah, so that's that's very funny. And just like the way that Knight always like like brushes off what anyone is saying to him but yeah. like in sort of like a polite and cool way i enjoy yeah he's just like not he's like unflappable he just like yeah he, he doesn't care about these people and like they can say <laughs> anything to him and it just like does not disturb him yeah completely so then edna brings up that table 19 should play the spy game that they like <laughs> to play and they should come up with ways that a spy could steal a secret airplane so obviously Cobber freaks out and Knight's like trying to cover for him. But then Waghorn is also concerned because he thinks now that Edna is a spy from a rival network. Mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> the layers keep adding at table 19. And then um, around this time, Sydney kidnaps Z4 because uh, he thinks he's part of the plot. AKA Vishnik's dog. He's not actually Z4. Yeah, correct. And so <laughs> Vishnik is you know, very angry with Parson and he's like got a, he's a hot tempered man. So that's not good for Parson if Vishnik's upset with you. Mm. Um, so at this point, Tom asks Sydney to sort of level with him and like tell him what's going on. Sydney says there's a plot against the Western world, but won't give any more details, which like, <laughs> makes Tom pretty upset. Also, and, how is stealing an airplane a plot against the Western world? Yeah. I don't know I who's mean, stealing it to do what. <laughs> they could also be from the West. Why is this airplane important for the Western world, etc.? It's, it's a great question. It could be, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a good answer. That was, I mean, I was going to talk about it in my rating, but that's always sort of the only thing that like sort of sticks out that is like not super, doesn't make a ton of sense is just like how is exactly this plane stealing to test it out and then like not even steal it uh i don't know how is this like that cr critical mm -hmm. it's just like unclear it's it's i like, understand what are they gonna do with the plane yeah. once they steal it we don't know yeah yeah we don't know and it seems like yeah like we don't even really know like because knight was never going to like get in the plane he just like wanted the plane taken but I feel yeah. like it was to like more learn what it does than to physically have the plane. I guess then they would like sell that information too. Yeah, someone. I guess so. I wish it was explained a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, so Tom asked, or Sydney asked Tom to mail a new batch of letters that Sydney's written. Tom says, yeah, and then just throws them in the garbage. But Edna finds them and mails them. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, at this point, Waghorn finds the bug that, Sydney planted in his garbage but Waghorn assumes Edna planted it and so he screams into the bug that they won't get anything from him and like throws it into the grass I think or somewhere yeah out his, out his window yeah um so then the next day this the staff are um eating breakfast and Sydney puts like 
extreme high dose of laxatives in Parson and Bishop's breakfast because he's trying to like neutralize them, I think. Um, I don't pay a lot of attention to Sydney's motives because this scene contains probably the most like bizarre, perplexing, fascinating line I've ever read in my life. I also wrote down a line, I'm praying it's the same one. (laughs) Please let it be. So Bishop says to Sydney, (laughs) trying to encourage him to like drink what he's given him. Bishop says, as I always say, milk is the only drink there is. Yeah, that's uh, what I Crazy. What a wild line. What does, what does it mean? He's also like a grown man. How could like milk is like his number one. Even if milk is your number one drink, which is, by the way, insane. Yeah. How, how why would you say, as I always say, milk is the only drink there is? It's it's the wildest thing. It makes Bishop like immediately the most insane character in like a, a book of insane characters. It's like he's like a workout like enthusiast. Yeah. Like, but like I don't think those guys drink like a lot of milk necessarily. They drink like protein shakes maybe, but like yeah. to only be drinking milk is crazy. And to be so boastful about it. Yeah, to me, and and then he just like enthusiastically drinks like a ton of milk with Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I honestly, it was, can't stop thinking about it. It's. I'm gonna make that my new catchphrase. I think milk, as I always say, milk is the only drink there is. What kind of life is this guy led? This, it's nuts. It's nuts. When Gordon Corman comes on the podcast, that has to be like we have to work our way up to that as like our hard hitting Barbara <laughs> yeah. Walters question. Like, listen, tell us about how you came up with this absolute bananas sentence. Yeah, once we've earned his trust, then we'll uh, catch him with that. Yeah, exactly. Whew, okay. So after they're done drinking all that milk, <laughs> um, Cindy gets some more letters and there's, oh, I do have something. Okay. So there's one from NORAD. <laughs> um, and it's like the same as the others. Like, oh, like, this is really funny. Like to hear from you again, it's great. But like your plot doesn't make any sense. And like these people are normal people, etc. And then, um, so Tom sees Sydney reading. He's like, what, you got a letter from NORAD? Like, what does it say? And Sydney says, oh, Steve's just telling me routine stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and oh, Steve is like the big stupid. boss of NORAD. Yeah. The general or whatever the highest thing is, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it just like makes me, like this part in particular makes me think it must be so fun to be Sydney. Like, yes, on the one hand, you're, like, kind of always stressed and, like, you feel, like, a lot of weight on your shoulders. But on the other hand, like, your life is so interesting. Yeah, that is true. Especially, yeah, you're just, like, a small boy and there's so much going on. (laughs) You're, like... Like, finding clues everywhere. Yeah. Putting things together. You're writing the NORAD, like, NORAD's writing to you. And (laughs) even when they say to you, like, you are, like, you're a dumb child that, like, makes us laugh. He's like, ah, Steve's just telling me routine Yeah, stuff. <laughs> he's, like, yeah, eternally optimistic about his skills, I guess. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. Um, I would so, just add just, yeah. like, a couple of points that I think are important or, or not really important. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah. so Sydney also, like, puts drops in Vishnik and Waghorn's drinks, but Tom oh, yeah. sees him do that, and he smashes the drinks out of their hands like spilling juice everywhere and like making a scene 
And that's kind of just like a recurring theme that I think you mentioned, which is like Tom trying to do the right thing and help protect their jobs, but like making things worse by causing a scene, upsetting guests. And it's also a recurring theme of like Vishnik getting like angrier and angrier about the hotel, like messing with him basically. Yeah, exactly. And then the other like key plot point I think is just that Sydney notices Waghorn's now burning his garbage so he can't read it because Mm -hmm. Waghorn's like scared about Edna reading it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, so Sydney's suspicious. And then Sydney listens to the tape of Waghorn's bug and he hears Waghorn being like, ah, you'll never get anything from me and destroying mm. it. And that makes Sydney even more suspicious. He's like, ooh, Waghorn's on to me. Like he has yeah. something to hide. Um, so then Sydney um, gets out his, his uh, homing system. We find out that he didn't use his paycheck to buy clothes. He instead bought a homing device which basically involves you like put a homing pin on a person and then the system can track it and then it will set off an alarm when a pin crosses a certain area. And let me tell you, I've thought about this for a long time. I do not understand how this works. Like I totally (laughs) understand pin going on a person system can then like read kind of what, but like how does the system know the geography of the place that you're in? Oh yeah. I see what you mean. I mean, Uh, yeah. It's very sophisticated, I suppose. It's very sophisticated. I mean, there's definitely like a way for this to work, but like my brain could not wrap. Yeah, maybe he like technology of this work. Yeah, I don't have a great answer. Maybe like Sydney had to input sort of the um. Ah, oh, the coordinates. What do you call it? Yeah, the coordinates of where they were, and then oh, it interesting. Set up. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so now, so Sydney has this new device that he's going to try and track people's movements, essentially. Um, then, uh, Wings does like a test flight on a simulator and his test results come back and they show that despite showing symptoms of emotional instability and extreme lack of sleep, because he's like freaking out about Cobber, he still scores incredibly well. Overall, 99.4 on the simulator. Obviously we have no way to know if that's good or bad. It reminds me of Ashy's scales that he has been making, but 99.4 seems good. So... You got to assume it's out of a hundo. Yeah, but what is the, like, maybe an average score for someone is like a 99.2. Oh, yeah. But don't, yeah, don't they say it's like the best of all time? Probably. Yeah, it says that it's the highest score in testing I mean, it's great. They're very, they're very happy. That's what I'm trying to say. But they give us numbers, like it means something. (laughs) Um, So then, uh, meanwhile, Knight decides to do some kind of like investigating on his table mates, because I guess like he feels people are coming kind of like close to (laughs) figuring out what they're doing um and he just like really hilariously like summarizes what is going on like he's pieced everything together like fuller is tracking kitzel because um sydney kind of like confused her and sydney is suspicious of waghorn and waghorn is using fuller as inspiration for his script um so he just kind of like sees everything that's that's happening and he's like oh these people are effing stupid um then at the base sydney calls again um like giving them these like weird um like pieces of information that they like are confused by and um this time they track the call and they find that it's coming from the lobby of the hotel so snyder goes to the hotel to speak to the management to be like we're getting these like crank calls from here um and Cobber sees snyder and he freaks out he's like "Ooh, the military is like coming here to like see what's up um, but Knight is like, eh, don't worry about it. This Knight doesn't care about any of this. 
Yeah, he is intrigued they shut down the lobby phones, but definitely not concerned at this point. Yeah. Uh, So then Sydney sees Snyder, and so this makes him think there's... Oh, he sees him talking to Parson, I guess. So he thinks there's an inside man at the airbase because of this. Mm. Um, Knight realizes that Snyder came because Sydney has been warning the airbase. So he relaxes once he realizes that Sydney's just going to confuse the airbase, if anything. Um, so it's not a concern. And it might I mean, like, it. shouldn't you be worried? Like, even if everyone has like kind of the wrong end of things, shouldn't you be worried that they've like pieced together that there's spies that are going to steal <laughs> <laughs> the plane? Yeah, considering airbase? yeah, like the normal would just be nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does seem a little close to home, but Knight is not phased. He's a pro. Yeah, you know, he doesn't care. Yeah, so. Snyder says that all the people mentioned on the calls he's been getting are um, get either guests or work at the hotel and the mm-hmm. dogs have been stolen too, which have been part of the calls. So this is what he's like telling Cartwright when he's back in the base. And so Cartwright says he's going to send uh, an army guy to stay at the hotel undercover. And we're introduced to Lieutenant Simcha, who is, uh, to quote the book, looks like he came from a recruitment ad. So he's like... Uh, exactly what you picture you know from central casting of a military <laughs> man um so we find out pretty quick that he just like says yes sir to everything and but he actually has like no idea what's going on and he's like mm-hmm. very doesn't know what his mission is doesn't know like what he's supposed to do but is like is is not in his personality to ask questions and he doesn't seem concerned he just figures that everything will be fine yeah, can I just say that between Lieutenant Simcha and Daniel Wings Weinberg, there are a lot of Jews in this imaginary Air Force. Yeah, I had a similar thought, and I was pretty pleased. <laughs> I'd say it's about time we were more represented in our military air uh, Air Force capacities, and we really so run we, the gamut between like the best test pilot in the world yeah. and like this guy who doesn't know anything. Yeah, it's true. Buddy is like good at being a soldier, or at least looking like one. Mm. I, I don't know, but yeah, it was definitely the most like overt Judaism that I, we've come across in Corman's books so far. I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was funny, fun to come across. Um, so where are we here? Yeah, so then Mr. Kitzel uh, starts to think Fuller is interested in him because she works for Revenue Canada and he's like lied on his taxes. So this is what he's now concerned about. Um, <laughs> and so, of course, Simha is at table 19 too. And even though he's supposed to be undercover, it's like very obvious that he's in the army because he says like, yes, sir. And generally acts like a soldier. So he's like the worst undercover uh, (laughs) person you could get. So Kitzel says that they should start talking about taxes rather than, you know, spy stuff. And Waghorn and Cobber agree because, you know, they're both freaked out when they talk about spy stuff. So (laughs) Kitzel is pretending Sarah, his cat, is his daughter because he claimed that on his taxes but then at one point he slips and says, I left her at home, but Mrs. Goldberg comes over once a day to feed her and let her out if the weather's nice, which is pretty funny. And like, so pretty clear um, <laughs> that he is lying about that. And also at like, one point, like Kitzel is like, oh, she's a college student. 
Um, and Fuller just like leans in and says, she isn't a spy, is she? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, table 19. Table 19 so is insane. And then Vishnik says at one point, like he goes, the man is crazy, yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. No, I, my favorite scenes might be at table 19, possibly. Yeah. Um, so then if around this time, Sydney plants a homing pin in Waghorn's shoe, but Tom sees it. So he tries to get it off, but it's like stuck and he ends up throwing uh, Waghorn's shoe into the pool. <laughs> and then Simcha like dives in to retrieve it. So a pretty funny scene. Mm. And then Knight tells Cobber that he has one more day to study the plans uh the blueprints that he stole uh but cobber kind of like brushes him off and decides to sneak off somewhere which we'll find out later uh sydney also plants a pin on vishnik but vishnik feels that something's on him and he throws it on the ground thinking it's just like from the laundry meanwhile sydney gives him a drink from parson but tom thinks sydney's done something to the drink so tom grabs it and throws it on the ground and parson sees that and gets mad at tom and he tells him to go talk to Vishnik to make him happy since he's still pretty mad about his dog going missing. And then Tom steps on the pin and gets mad because it hurts his foot. And then he just like shoves it deep into the ground. Uh, meanwhile, Snyder's taking wings to the movie or to the movies in town uh, to like get his mind off things for a bit. But Cobber's also gone to town when he mm. was snuck away and wings sees him. So, Wings like that's Cobber. So Snyder's like, all right, that's it. Like you've been talking about this guy for so long, we're gonna like get to the bottom of this. So he gets they get in their car and they start chasing Cobber, which leads to like an insane uh police chase like Absolutely. all over the city. Like, oh the wildest one. Like if this was made into a movie, this would be like one of the wilder police chases I think you Yeah. You've come across or car chases, I guess. Um so it's you know just like wild stuff is happening it ends with cobber jumping out of his car at one point and just like escaping running off and snyder and wings end up getting arrested and their car is absolutely destroyed so knight's watching the news and he sees footage of this chase on the news and so he goes to cobber's room and this is when knight gets serious for the first time <laughs> pulls, pulls out a gun and he says he's going to sit here while Cobber studies. And meanwhile, Cartwright, uh, Colonel Cartwright, is real mad at Snyder when he comes back because the car that is like the bases is completely destroyed and Wings is like way worse off than he was when they went into town. Like the fallout is so minimal from the car chase. <laughs> like the car chase is, yeah. is absolutely insane. <laughs> There's like so much destruction and everyone's just kind of like, ah, I can't believe you got in the car chase. Like, that's like, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really true. It's considering how mad Cartwright seems, and it's like, nothing happens. Yeah. It sort of seems like Corman, like, had fun writing it, but then he was like, I don't want to deal with, like, this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have, like, I got the plots really ramping up here. I don't need yeah. to, like, get into Can't get bogged like, down in a car yeah, chase. Which I appreciate. Yeah, it just seems like when I was reading, I was like, what? <laughs> How is this happening? And this is not the end of the book, you know? Yeah, true. It seems like a climax. Yeah. Um, so then Vishnik is um, getting like more and more upset with Parson about his dog being missing. And like, no one seems to like really care that much. 
So he says he's giving the hotel 48 hours to find his dog or he'll take matters into his own hands, meaning he'll just like start searching everyone's rooms, essentially. Um, then Knight goes in to talk to Parson and he's like super complimentary. Everything's going great. And he tells uh, Parson that he's really excited for the midnight wiener roast that the hotel is planning on having the next night. And Parson is like, what is this guy talking about? He like has never heard of a midnight wiener roast before. They've never held one before. But Par but um, Knight is so complimentary, Parson is just kind of like going with it. He's just like, yeah, yeah, the wiener roast. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I think they're calling it weenie roast, which is really fun funnier. Or is that not? Is that just what my computer is uh, defaulting mm. it to? I wouldn't weenie roast. I don't remember weenie roast, but oh, I thought it was so funny funnier. that they kept saying weenie roast. But maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know. No, it's no. not important. I just like thought yeah. it was funny. Well, if you've read the book, write in and tell us what it is. Um, I get so I'll say weenie roast from now on. Please. In deference to the humor. Um, so uh, Parson investigates once night leaves and he's like, none of the staff know about this. Parson's like, what is going on? But he finds like all this paperwork for the roast with his signature on it. And there's like posters and like, it really seems like this is an event that's really happening. Then food starts arriving. Um, so basically he just like decides that like, wow, he must've been like really sick and he must have like done that while he was unwell and like just has no memory of it, which doesn't make any sense that that would be the conclusion he draws, but like that is what he decides. Um, and through that sort of like journey, we find out that it's gonna be like a really massive event. Giant band is coming. There's gonna be fireworks, there's gonna be balloons. So it's just gonna be crazy. And then um, we get a scene of Knight basically explaining to Cobber that he has crafted the weenie roast so that it's going to be a diversion for when they steal the plane. Right. Um, Sydney gets some more letters, <laughs> <laughs> including one, <laughs> including one from the OPP that says, "We do not want any more letters. We dislike them, and we dislike you." <laughs> yes. Um, Sydney tells Tom that he is suspicious about the weenie roast. He's like, "This isn't Pine Grove style at all. It's like a fancy." resort like they wouldn't have like a midnight weenie roast with like a band and stuff and this really feels very true to me and something that parson should have picked up on yeah like if you run this hotel and you've never thought about having a weenie <laughs> roast in your life like maybe it wasn't just because you were like had a fever like felt sick um sydney again is trying to tr trying to uh, plant homing pins on people um but tom is removing them as well um, like that continues to happen. Um, then at the OPP headquarters, some officers are talking about wanting to figure out a way to arrest Sidney Weston. They're like, we hate this guy so much. He's like constantly sending us letters or like people are forwarding us his letters. Um, I wish we could arrest him, but like we can't arrest him for just like sending us annoying letters. Um, so they're talking about that. And then Sidney is like going to his homing device um, and he's really confused why the people that he planted the homing pins on don't seem to be moving at all. And we know that it's because the pins aren't actually on them. Mm -hmm. And yes, Sydney also, I think, tried to uh, put one on Bishop, which Tom got rid of, which caused a funny scene of Bishop like climbing a rope and then Simcha, cli Simcha climbing a rope like faster. 
<laughs> and then he also tried to put one on Parson, which Tom grabbed and accidentally popped a kid's beach ball, which, uh, you know, so just like Tom is doing his best, but is causing a lot of trouble, which is yeah. the opposite of what he wants to do. Exactly. Um, so then Vishnik starts yelling at Parson that he must act tonight. So he's talking about finding his dog, but he just says, like, you must act tonight. So Sydney assumes it means the plot against the air bases tonight. Exactly. So he runs to Waghorn's room and he hears Waghorn on the phone with his boss and hears him say that he will have it tonight. Uh, so again, Sydney thinks something's happening tonight. And we find out that Waghorn has done his script and that he's hi- hit it in the toilet tank in his room. So Tom tells Sydney that their job for the weenie roast is they have to look after the kids during the day, like the kids that are staying at the resort. Um, so it's like kid wranglers, I guess. And so that, you know, that's going to like preoccupy Sydney so he can't uh, get into mischief. Um, the airbase guys wonder what's going on with Simcha, who hasn't reported <laughs> back at all. And we just like get a little snapshot of him just living his best life at the resort like you know having fun at the pool talking to the ladies just like dancing it up having a great time no concept or care that he's actually like on a mission of some kind that he doesn't just like doing every activity like center of every event yeah like always yeah like they're their best guest by far he like thinks his mission is to be an incredible guest. <laughs> yeah. Basically. In which case he's accomplishing it. Yeah. Uh, so with Sydney and Tom are, or sorry. So Sydney like starts talking to the, they have 40 kids they're in charge of. So he tells them that they're going to play a game during the day called strategic espionage immobilization, <laughs> where they divide into four groups each group has a different name, Vishnik, Bishop, Parson, and Waghorn. The captain of each team is given a rope, and they're going to practice for now. And then at the weenie roast, the first one to tie up their person when Sydney gives a code word is going to be the winner. And the secret word is Shakespeare. So, Because no one will say it by accident, he thinks. Yeah, it, but if you were anything like we were as children, you would say it all the time. All the time. That's like the first thing we would say at a weenie roast. <laughs> Uh, so meanwhile, General Steve McAllister from NORAD and from the letters we've been uh, mm-hmm. seeing arrives at the Trillium Air Base uh, in anticipation of the test flight of the OSIRIS. So he asks if they suspect anyone may try to steal the plane. And Cartwright says there's been some prank calls, but nothing to be worried about. Um, meanwhile, Sydney's mixing up delayed sleeping drugs, which he... Uh, tells tom about uh yeah he tells tom about and then so he's gonna his plan is to like give those to the his suspects i believe at the weenie roast or at some point in that night to further Um, neutralize people yeah so that they can't do anything um so while this is happening during the day knight sneaks into the kennels and he switches the biscuits the dogs are given for ones that have lots of energy and he also severs the leashes to the master leash. So it's going to like add, his plan is it's going to add to the chaos because he knows they get walked around midnight. So there's going to be basically like a ton of loose dogs, super high energy loose dogs like running around. Uh, so at this point, Sydney puts a homing pin on Waghorn as well as the sleep stuff in his drink. 
but Tom sees and knocks off the pin and spills his drink. But Sydney adds it to Waghorn's next drink uh, while Waghorn's off buying a cigar because Waghorn's in like a great mood because he finished his script. So he's like super happy right now. And where does he put it? Where does he put what? His script. Oh, I mentioned in the toilet tank. Did I miss it? I believe so. How embarrassing. <laughs> Maybe I just said it in my mind. Oh, if you're a listener to the podcast, write in and tell us if you said it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I said it. <laughs> brutal, brutal. Yeah, that's rough. That's a rough one for you. Um, so the drink is sitting there with the sleeping stuff in it. And who comes along but Cobber? And he is getting nervous about tonight. And he doesn't see night around. So he decides to drink it to like steal his nerves. And he also steps on the pin that was lying on the ground. So it's now in his shoe. Meanwhile, the OPP are sitting around complaining about Sydney and how they like wish they could arrest him for just like bugging them too much, basically. And then they see that there's been complaints about stolen dogs at the hotel that Sydney works at. And Sydney references in his letter how like he stole dogs uh, to prevent the operation so they get super excited and they uh like a couple of them head out to the hotel in to arrest him mm-hmm. so meanwhile the weenie roast is getting underway and it seems to be a really big success and parson is just like really really pleased um at how well it's going meanwhile tom is for some reason asleep and i kind of forget why is he just like really tired because he's been like yeah He's very tough. He's working hard on the weenie roast. Those kids were tackling him in the practice. Anyway, um, then we cut to the air base and the men are disturbed by the noise of the party. Keep in mind this party is for some reason happening at midnight. Yeah. Um, which is like a, a detail of a weenie roast that I think, again, might have like tipped people off to the fact that it's like a weird thing to be happening. Um, so the men at the air base are like, we can't sleep. We'll just like stay up. Um, and like enjoy the music, I guess. I don't know, but the people at the airbase are awake. That is the important part. So then at 11.35, Knight and Cobber, sorry, leave for the base. Tom awakens to some sort of like alarm going off. He's like, what is going on? And he finds Sydney's homing device um, is the thing that's making the noise. And it shows that a dot is inside the airbase's fence. Again, how does it say this? We don't know, impressive technology. Tom freaks out and he's like, oh, wow, Sydney was right about everything. Somebody is going <laughs> to break into the airbase and they're going to steal the plane or steal something from there. So now Tom is like, wow, it's up to me to save the Western world. So he rushes out of the room. And as he does, the two dogs that are in their room also rush out because they're like freaking out over the alarm. This is just making so much noise. Back at the base, Knight knocks out some of the guards and he gets Cobber into the cockpit of the Azarius. And um, but like Cobber falls asleep because now the stuff that Sydney put in his drink is starting to kick in. Back at the hotel, the dog walker takes the dogs out for their evening walk, but they meet up with Blackie and Vishnik's dog. And that combined with like the stimulants and everything, they just all start going nuts. So Knight, Knight sees the dogs all start going nuts and he's like, okay, it's time. And he pushes this plunger that creates an explosion 
that destroys um, part of the airbase's fence, which I think is to give him space for the plane to take off or what is the, why does he need to destroy the fence? Yeah, I, because the plane's going to be flying at a low altitude. So yeah, I guess uh, it okay. wouldn't clear the fence. Got it. Um, so the explosion makes the dogs go even more nuts. And then everyone at the uh, weenie roast is like scared of the explosion. So they start running away from it back towards the hotel. Um, but then they see the dogs who are freaking out the hotel and they turn away from them and start running back where they came from. And everyone's just like bumping into each other. And there's just like mass chaos and confusion. Um, Knight then tells Cobber it's time to take off, but Cobber doesn't respond because he's asleep. The fireworks guy, and this is, I think, something that really doesn't make any sense to me. The fireworks guy sees the explosion at the airbase and says to himself, that is the cue to start the fireworks. <laughs> like, literally explosion, people screaming, running away from it. He's like, oh, yep, I guess, here we go. <laughs> and so he starts the fireworks for some reason. Um, so that also, I guess, creates more noise and confusion. And Tom is now racing out of the hotel and yells Shakespeare, and the kids tackle their targets and tie them up. Yeah, so complete pandemonium. Just everything's nuts. Yeah, and just, as I'm sure, I'm sure people already understand this, but just to be clear, Knight is like on the radio with Cobber. He's not like in the oh, thing yeah. with him. Yeah, he's got a walkie-talkie or something. Yeah. Um, so Knight is like screaming at Cobber on the radio. Uh, eventually Cobber like rouses a little bit, but he's still like half asleep. So he starts flying sort of like zigzaggy and weird, um, trying to dodge the fireworks and also he's half asleep. Wings tells uh, General McAllister to let him take a fighter jet and chase him. And the airbase guys get in their Jeeps to like drive along, I guess. Meanwhile, all the kids have tackled their victims and tied them up. Then <laughs> Edna Fuller stumbles into night in the bushes and accuses him of being the spy. Yeah. Amazing. Edna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Knight keeps his cool and tells her to get Kitzel. And so she, she's like, okay. So yeah. she rushes. <laughs> so she rushes over to Kitzel and hits him over the head with a brief with Kitzel's briefcase of tax returns. So Kitzel's out cold now. Uh, so the Wings is in a fighter jet, and on the radio he's like telling Cobber that he's going to shoot the Osiris down, uh, so that he should like land the plane. Knight's also on the radio saying, "Ignore Wings and fly it out of there." And on the radio, so Cobber hears that it's Wings behind him, and he so he's like, "It's me, Cobber." <laughs> and then so like wings freaks out knowing that he's like in the sky so close to cobber who he's so yeah. afraid of so knight realizes this and he like starts talking up how dangerous cobber is <laughs> but mccallister is on the radio as well and he starts like threatening wings that he better take him down or like he's gonna kill him basically or like court martial him or whatever they do in the army and then uh so wings like doesn't really know what to do but he listens to the command and so he's like really impressing the airbase guys with his moves and it's clear that he's going to like force Cobber to land so at this point knight realizes the operation is over so he quickly packs up his things and just sort of like vanishes into the night uh snyder is in his jeep and so he's driving towards the guests and he sees simcha playing the ukulele like oblivious to all the chaos around him and he's just like what the heck are you doing man um 
McAllister also gets uh, to the resort and he see, oh, he's with Snyder, I guess, in the Jeep. And so he sees these people tied up and he real like he finds out what their names are and realizes that he's at the Pine Grove Hotel and Sydney must be there. So he starts yelling for him. He's so excited. Like of all the people writing letters, Steve McAllister is like by far loves Sydney the most. So he's so yeah. pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Cobber lands the plane. And so it's like he lands it and hits the brakes just before it hits the hotel. But the cone of the plane falls off and smashes into a room. And that room happens to be Waghorn's room. And it destroys the bathroom including the toilet where the script happens to be hiding. And where is the script hiding? <laughs> the toilet tank, <laughs> which we should have mentioned before. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the OPP have arrested Tom, thinking he's Sydney, and he can't convince them otherwise, and he's in custody. And so the next day, so I guess he like spends the night in jail <laughs> Big time night yeah which is pretty wild also, again we have no idea if these kids are like 13 or not i think they yeah they are like they gotta be which yeah but they just hate him so much like in the picture on the cover they look very small but if you think yeah. about like him like them having jobs and like being unsupervised yeah. they like maybe are a bit older either way scary for scary times for tom definitely uh, so the next day, Sydney and General McAllister are watching wings fly the Osiris, and they're in awe, just as everyone else is. And Sydney asks what's going to happen to Cobber, uh, who they obviously arrested. And McAllister says they'll try to figure out who he works for, and he'll be in jail for a long time. And then Sydney mentions that he was with this guy Knight a lot, if that helps. And so McAllister thanks him for the tip and says, this, you know, probably not the real name but or it's probably not his real name but we'll look into it into it and uh so then cartwright and wings make up and they toast champagne together for like a very successful uh, test flight and then the opp arrive saying they have sydney weston with them um which yeah i i don't really remember why they brought him with them why did that happen yeah i don't remember that either okay well any thinking uh when i read when i read over my notes why are the opp there yeah i'm not sure there i'm sure there's a reason that we just okay in our note taking so readers write in <laughs> yeah so snyder then asks him what he's been up to and he says he has no idea and then uh, snyder says like all the bar bills lessons <laughs> like um, there, you know room service all that stuff's going to be deducted from his pay and Simcha still doesn't like really know what's going on um then the opp try to arrest sydney when they find out that they don't have sydney they have tom but McAllister steps in and is like no i'm not gonna let you do this and then i pointed out here throughout like this chapter and maybe mm -hmm. the last one mm -hmm. the amount of times like McAllister talks about he no, i guess it's throughout the whole book throughout uh, he talks about like how he's a general and so he like deserves this and deserves that uh, like always like in a joking way like yeah. he's, but like, i'm just a general yeah and then like when they're talking about how his staff like had pools going about like what would happen with sydney's investigations yeah and his letter's always like really a general should be winning like over 
right. or private. So like, if you don't mind like telling the general and then like in this part, he's like always, always saying he's a general. And my belief that I choose to believe mm-hmm. is that um, Corman just like had to look at, learn like the ranks of the yeah, army yeah. to like, you know, do his research. Yeah. And I was just like so proud that he learned it and just like wanted to <laughs> like point it out as much as he could uh, like <laughs> knew that a general's at top that's a great yeah. dream but it, I, my personal belief is that this guy is just like wants to tell people that he's a general a lot yeah he definitely does that a lot um so <laughs> snyder tells uh, the sergeant that's driving cobber to be careful uh because like cobber is a slippery fish i guess and then we get a scene in the car and the person driving Cobber turns out to be Knight. Like, so he's, you know, posing as a army guy or police officer. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. Knight uh, gives Cobber an envelope that has a new identity for him and a little bit of money and a plane ticket to Tibet and says like, you know, go start a new life away from me. And Knight drives into the woods once he's dropped Cobber off at the airport uh switches the cars he has a car waiting for him in the woods and he pushes the old one off a cliff and then we see that cobber decides he's going to exchange his flight to tibet for one to vegas instead so he probably could guess how cobber cobber's life ends up i Mm. I think Mm -hmm. Uh, then waghorn we see waghorn he's screaming on his phone to his boss about how the plane's nose cone bounced into his room and crushed his toilet so he's like obviously super upset and then like you know he gets off the phone with his boss and just sighs and goes to his typewriter and starts typing from the beginning spy story colon hotel which is like all he had originally for so long when he had writer's block and that pretty much ends it oh we did it (laughs) yeah and we could have talked for like three more hours we cut out so much like as we should have but i'm just yeah i'm very proud of us we made it we hope you made it too yeah let's uh let's get out of this summary and into (laughs) into something else sounds good Okay, it's time for our next segment, Crime Watch. But before we get into that, I want to say that I took the time in between segments to look up whether it was Wiener or Weenie, and we have confirmed the answer is Wiener. Yes, Wiener. I don't know why I kept writing Weenie, and I don't know why I thought it was Weenie. Got a real Berenstein-Berenstein situation here. Big time. Yeah, this is, maybe I have a different version of the book than you. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) The one that you gave me, yes. Um, Okay, so Crime Watch. This is when we talk about the various low-key crimes they commit, although in this book, some of them were kind of high-key crimes. Mm -hmm. Crime Watch, Crime Watch, there's a lot of crime. Crime Watch, Crime Watch. So much for this rhyme. Whoa! Kind of pulled it out of the bag there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, holy moly, there's so much crime in this book. And that seems like an obvious thing to say because, like, the main thing that's happening in this book is someone stealing a plane. But, like, that is not even the crime that I'm thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of crime. And it's like, 
a significant amount of it is stuff Sydney is doing. Yes, correct. Trying like thwart crime. He's like bugging people, tracking people, stealing things, stealing dogs, like poisoning people, not yeah. an insignificant amount of time. Yeah. Everything he does is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's also the car chase, which is like obviously mm-hmm, nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, Knight does a lot of stuff like in the service of stealing the plane, like he forges Parson's signature. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously like rescues Cobber at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the stuff Fuller does is like low key harassment, probably. We also have like tax evasion from before. Yeah, uh, I had Mr. Kitzel's stuff, taxes. Everyone's a criminal in this. Yeah, I wrote uh, biggest crimes we've had exclamation mark the spies exclamation mark basically everything everyone does (laughs) (laughs) like so few people aren't committing crimes it'd be quicker to talk about just list of people not doing crimes bishop is the only one i can think of just drinking drinking that much milk is a crime if you ask oh yes that's true (laughs) (laughs) um yeah there's like an intense amount of crime and like stealing the plane we could have left that off the list and like not even noticed yeah (laughs) okay it's time for our next segment bruno and boots where we talk about all the characters in the book who are like bruno and boots but are not bruno and boots bruno and boots together again the very best friends you ever did see Tell me their names once more, if you please. Bruno Bruno and Boots. Oh, yes. I'm glad. Yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) It's where we get the the other person to join in the jingle. A call and response. I didn't know if you wanted me to or not. I I didn't know either. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I never know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, correct. (laughs) (laughs) So the most obvious comparison, of course, is Sydney and Tom as Bruno and Boots, respectively. Yeah. Um, in that Sydney is sort of a, the troublemaker of the two, and Tom is the one that is tries to just like behave. So I think that Tom and Boots are pretty similar in that they're just like trying to keep their noses clean, as mm-hmm. Boots would say. Sydney and Bruno, I think, are a bit different because Sydney doesn't think he's like a troublemaker and isn't like trying to like cause mischief, whereas mm-hmm. Bruno's like actively pursuing mischief a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like just Sydney the things Sydney does result in mischief yeah. because of like, he thinks he's a professional detective and he's not. I kind of had the, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, but I kind of had the opposite feeling about it. Like I think Sydney and Bruno are pretty close mm. um, just in terms of like the kind of indefatigable, can't be deterred, feel like they're doing things for the greater mm. good sort of mm-hmm. spirit of them, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Like, obviously, they go about it in different ways, but I feel like their essence is the same. And so, like, likewise, I felt Tom, I mean, as you say, he is like Boots in terms of, like, he's worried about them getting into trouble, but he's not, like, a co-conspirator. So, like, Boots is usually in in on the mischief and is, like, in on the schemes and is trying to, like, work from within them to, like, maybe calm Bruno down. And yeah. Tom is just like watching Sydney and like trying to put out fires like from the outside of the schemes, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I agree with everything you're saying. So yeah, up for interpretation, I guess. Up for interpretation. It's nice that the like twins mistaken identity thing does add a new dimension mm-hmm. to the kind of two archetypes. 
Um, I definitely will say again, I had the same experience of um, in I Want to Go Home, where like in my memory, these characters were exactly Bruno and Boots. Yeah. Like the Weston boys in my memory were Bruno and Boots 100%. And then reading this book again, I was like, oh no, they are a little bit different. Yeah. But again, like so similar as to be like a hilarious Corman thing that he can really only write to <laughs> leading <laughs> characters with this dynamic. I also think that like Parson, he like wanted Parson to be the fish in a way, but and in a way that didn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like he wanted like an authority figure that they were like kind of afraid of that was like always like cracking down on them. But like, again, in like the workplace situation of it, it just like didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I was going to bring up that he's like, yeah, that would be the closest comparison, but he's not like the fish in that the fish is like a reasonable and kind yeah. man. Or Parson is not. Doesn't schedule wiener roasts for midnight. Midnight. <laughs> There's got to be bylaws against that. That was the okay, that is a thing when like the when the um, people at the airbase are like, man, they're making so much noise, but like, what can we do? It's a private event. I'm like, there are laws. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely make a noise complaint against these people. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Bruno Boots. I mean, they're great guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our next segment is this can't be happening at mcdonald hall in 2020 when we talk about how technology would have changed things i've also been thinking about so right now we're recording it's december of 2020 so we might have to Whoa. adjust the uh segment name at some point oh my goodness which i don't want to do but it might not make sense anymore anyway um, a jingle. Yes, a jingle for this segment is what I shall do. And here it is. This can't be happening at McDonald Hall in 2020, 2020, 2020. For now. <laughs> the last time you'll ever get to do it, possibly. Maybe. Um, okay, there's like a lot of just like tech i guess i would say like tracking devices phone tracing um the listening bugs what do you call those like the bugs you put on people to like listen to them yeah i think that's correct like all that stuff is like could probably be updated um do people write letters would they be emails <laughs> true yeah i thought it like was pretty high tech because of all sydney's toys and gadgets but yeah like the i guess effectiveness or like the way they're done would def probably be updated i yeah. suppose i think there'd be better security at the base also yeah for sure like they and, should know uh, if someone's like near yeah and waghorn probably wouldn't do use a typewriter but some mm. i think some writers still kind of like it i think there's uh, a couple of them that do but the yeah. hipster ones do yeah exactly but yeah like we don't we don't know enough about technology like these like spy gadget stuff to say for sure i think like what would be updated but the like general feeling of it is that or for me at least is that their technology is like higher than it would be or more advanced than it would be like in a normal book written at this time just because it's supposed to be like spy yeah. Yeah. spy equipment i will say like the one thing i wrote down in my notes is 
you don't have to steal a plane to steal a plane anymore. Oh, I like that. Which basically means like you could like hack into something to like steal the information you needed. You don't actually have to like fly the plane out of there. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think we could tell a similar story today. Totally. Okay, time for our next segment, the Elmer Drimsdale Memorial Award, where we select the best or our favorite side character from the book we just read. Elmer Drimsdale, Elmer Drimsdale. E is for excellent. L is for lava. And the rest, we don't know. Elmer Drimsdale. (laughs) What was the L for? Lava. Oh, lava, yeah. Because I was going to like... Yeah. I was going to spell it like qualities of Elmer, but I realized it's like, this one's not about Elmer, so why should I do that? Yeah, and that also would take him forever. I was really worried when you, start, when you started with the letters uh, Yeah. about how long it would take. Um, so I think, I think your instincts were strong on that one. Always. Always strong when it comes to the jingles. That is confirmed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, let's let's plow ahead here. Um, okay, should should I go first if I did the jingle? I guess. Yeah, um, I think you better. Okay, so this was extremely tough for me because this mm-hmm. book, more than any that we've read, has like the deepest bench of characters that are like well crafted and sort of like three dimensional. For sure. And although like Sydney is the main character, there's like a lot of scenes without Sydney, way more than like in a Bruno and Boots book that would be without them. Yep. So there like isn't maybe like a true, true main character, which gives um, side characters a lot of opportunities to shine in my eyes. So <laughs> this is definitely tough. I My answer though is um, Richard Knight is my answer. Ooh. I think he has the most one-liners that like make me laugh. His relationship with Cobber is extremely funny to me, how like upset he is with him all the time while being like super cool to everyone else and just like always being like very quick on his feet and, you know, getting out of what could be sticky situations. Um, I also thought it was like interesting that even though he's a spy, he's like, by far the sort of the most normal person yeah. <laughs> at the entire resort. Like, I re- like the, I think the reader can like relate to him more than probably most yeah. of the characters. Yeah. Uh, and then I have just two honorable mentions. Uh, Simcha, I think is very funny, mm-hmm. um, but I'm kind of glad he's like not in it that much. Cause like it would, it's like very one note. So it would probably get old pretty quick. Yep. Um, and then I never thought, like really thought about this character as a kid like being one of my favorites but reading it now uh edna fuller is very funny and uh i love that she's the one that discovers knights a spy and then like immediately like gets sidetracked or yes. stops thinking it but she's she's really funny in a lot of the stuff she does mm. wow well consider me the Tom to your Sydney because we could be twins. 
with our ideas about these side characters. Okay. Yes, totally agree. Impossible, basically, to choose. There are so many great characters, and they're all so funny in their own ways. My honorable mentions were definitely Edna Fuller. Um, I just, like, love how, like, instantly she takes to the idea of there being a spy and, like, just, like, this full-grown woman just being, like, yep, gonna, <laughs> like, stalk this man for, like, the duration of my stay. That is what I will do. Overall, though, I wish there were more female characters. I didn't like that Edna Fuller was really the only female mm-hmm. character that we had in this book. My other honorable mention goes to Vishnik. Everything Vishnik said <laughs> yeah. is miracle to me. Um, but, yes, my main... Uh, my Elmer Dreamsdale Memorial Award goes to Richard Knight, and I did not feel wow. like that was going to be my move when I began this book. But yeah, I'm surprised. As you said, so many like snide one-liners, just like keeps his cool in every situation. His observations about the other people are like so funny mm-hmm. to me. When he's like, basically, like, yeah, these people have figured out the plot, but they like don't know it's me, and so like everything is fine. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, he's. He's the guy for me. Love it. Congratulations, Richard Knight. Yeah. If that is your real name, which, oh. we know it, which we know it is not. Which we know it's not. You didn't get your plane, but <laughs> yeah. the word will, um, will make up for it in a small yeah. way. Time for room 306, where we ask each other dumb questions about the book and ask each other smart questions from our coalition members. Room 306 is the place where you go to ask questions and get them answered. Room 306. I was going for like a... (laughs) I feel like you've yeah. done a, simil- a similar song before, perhaps. No. <laughs> no. That was fresh. Okay, I liked it. It just sounded familiar to you because it was yeah. like, that's like the comfort of a good song. I think so. An, yeah. old, an old standard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I will ask you the first question. Please do. How do the seating arrangements work in the dining room of the Pine Grove Hotel? I'm just going to add some detail that I'd love for you to just think through. Why is this specific group of people always seated together? Even when new people arrive much (laughs) later, like Vishnik and Simcha arrive many days after these other people have arrived, but they are able to join the table. Yeah. Clearly, some of these people hate some of these other people (laughs) at the table. Right. So... Who makes the decisions about who sits at the table? Why do they seem to be set in stone in a way that you like can't sit with anybody else at any other meal? Is there milk served? Are there any other drinks that are served? <laughs> um, go for it. Oh, man. That's a great question. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, it must be strictly enforced or else they would not <laughs> continue to sit together because they do mostly hate each other. Um who is doing the enforcement and why are they doing it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like maybe in a, on cruise ships, do you have a sign an assigned spot? Maybe yeah, but that's table? also yeah. like. Well, actually, I don't know because maybe some people are on the cruise ship for different durations. It just felt so like I was willing to buy that. Like, 
Kitzel, Fuller, Nightcopper, they were all at the same table. But when mm-hmm. Simcha was seated with them, I was like, what is this? Yeah. So was there like, oh, yeah. How much uh, open space was there at the table when yeah. they first sat down? Right. And like, were, is it just a low season at the hotel or are all the tables, you know, pretty empty or what's going on? I mean, there were 500 people at the Wiener Rose. So oh, yeah, that's true. Season. That is true. And yeah, with at no point would any of them request, please yeah. don't make me sit with this person that I is like hounding me with accusing me of, you know, being a spy or telling us these tax stories or yeah exactly it's a great question or like even at a certain point do you not just want to sit with different people even if they're not making you play the spy game (laughs) right yeah it's it's very you'd think there'd be a long line of people that want to sit with simcha because he's such a great (laughs) guest yeah so you don't have an answer is that what you're trying to say i like my answer i guess is just Parson is a strict disciplinarian that would punish them if they went to a different table. And he has like a a weird thing about everyone having to sit where they sit. I think mm-hmm. that maybe Doesn't they have like, like a great move for a guy who wants like his guests to be happy and come back, but no, right. maybe they are on like certain meal plans or something, but yeah, I mean like it doesn't make any sense, but I understand obviously why it has to be done for the sake mm-hmm. of the book, but mm-hmm. in terms of logic, um, I don't really know. I just blame Parson and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the way he operates. All right, good. Okay, so my first question is actually, I think a thoughtful question for once. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you have preferred the book to have been like a full-on mystery where we know there is a spy, but we don't know who it is until it's revealed like at the end? Like yeah. when Edna discovers Knight, that's when we learn right, that, right, right. who the spy is. That is a thoughtful question. Um, it sort of picks up on something I was going to say in a report card. But um, the short answer is yes. I do think I would like it more. If it's even possible to like this book more. <laughs> if there it was a mystery, I think obviously the humor might um, not be there anymore because a lot of the joke is sort of that like we see everyone mm-hmm. making these mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would, I think, be more fun as a reader to get, um, to try and solve the mystery, to try and investigate alongside Sydney, as opposed to sort of knowing everything off the top. Yeah, it would be obviously an extremely different book, but I'd be pretty interested to read it. Mm. Um, great question. Thank you. My next question for you might appear that it's not thoughtful, but <laughs> when you think about it for a second, I think it's extremely thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Or at least observant. Does Vishnik's dog have a name? <laughs> And if so, what is its name? I I actually did think about that <laughs> at some point when when you said that it's not Z four. Then anyway, it has a name. I'm like, oh yeah. Um, I think it's probably mm, it's probably like a a word in his native language. 
that ah. means like that means beautiful or something because he loves his dog yeah or like you know best friend or something companion yeah because he really loves that dog mm-hmm. smart so yeah so i don't know what that word is because i don't speak the language that i suspect he does okay <laughs> <laughs> but that is that is my answer great answer thank you uh, now i'll ask you a question that's the way this segment works so yeah you figured it out at last <laughs> what is the most useful or like most clever trick you would pull if you had an identical twin oh <laughs> huh this is um wow wow i mean i think the best trick ever pulled with identical twins is the in the parent trap obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. second best is the prestige mm-hmm. um what would yeah. i do i mean it would be really great if like your twin had like a skill set that you didn't and you could just like swap them in when you had to like go take a science test or something yeah that's kind of great. what i was thinking they were great at science um another good thing would be like if there was some sort of like world record you could set that was like about endurance and you could like swap in and out without anyone noticing so that you weren't actually performing that feat of endurance you were like resting Mm. half the time oh i like that yeah that could be a good that would be great or like holding your breath underwater yeah for like oh yeah as a performance wait but how would that work with a twin you'd need like a trapdoor or something you'd need a trap you need a trap but it would yeah it would make it easier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i wish it makes you think like sydney and tom should have combined their powers more yeah well maybe now that tom has seen that sydney is right sometimes he'll like be more inclined oh, to yeah. that's be true part that's of it true. Mm. okay our um those were great questions but now let's move on to a reasonable question which comes to us from uh, our coalition member named Claire. Claire tells us she has a nephew who's about 10 months old and his name is West Lee, AKA Baby West. Now, if Baby West could be considered a third Weston, you seeing what she's doing there? Mm-hmm. How would he fit into the story, add a new dimension into the story? Would he play a part in Sydney's schemes tell us Hmm. thank you claire for that question and for your generous donation yes thank you claire um it does seem a little unfair that you have been known what this question is for many weeks and i'm hearing i did not i literally (laughs) minutes before this podcast i was like claire you have to lock in your question because we're about to record Uh, okay so i've known it for minutes and most of that time i spent frantically figuring out how to record with the microphone (laughs) (laughs) okay that's fair then um so I think he would definitely be included. I think that having a baby would give Sydney a lot of flexibility to, you know, lull his suspects into not suspecting that this baby is investigating you for uh, potential espionage that you're undertaking. Yep. Um, I think it, yeah, it would be like serve as a 
either a decoy or as um, like he would be just a cuddly, cute <laughs> thing that, or baby that you could, you know, get some information out of a suspect because mm -hmm. you know, yep. they're, you know, they're, uh, let their guard down a little when there's a baby involved. Right. So I think uh, Baby West mm. could definitely be instrumental. And I think Sydney would find a lot of clever uses, much more so than I've thought of just then. But mm -hmm. um, I think he would be involved from the get-go yeah especially if he looks like a teenage boy at 10 months old that could be a whole other <laughs> avenue um he is blonde i believe and the kids on the in the book cover are blonde so there you go um your answer makes a lot of sense and it makes a lot more sense than what i was thinking of which is like i really feel like what um sydney would treat west as like his I don't know if apprentice is the right word, but he's kind of like his right hand man and like not really mm. care that West is a baby. So he yeah. would be like placing like photographs in front of baby West and be like point to the one you think is the suspect and like really go off of that um, mm. information. So I think he would be like treating West as like a colleague or like co-conspirator. <laughs> yeah. And like kind of ignoring that West is 10 months old. Yeah. And it would be like one of those, I don't like not exactly, but like an inspector gadget type thing where Sydney's like talking to the baby West and it just like somehow the baby's like doing everything correctly, even yeah. though like it like doesn't <laughs> just like kind of bumbling his way into like succeeding at Sydney's requests. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That could be good. The three Westons. I like Two it. Westons and a West. Sequel. All right. Thanks so much, Claire. Okay. Now it's time for our next segment, Report Card, where we grade the book uh, using whatever grading system we have come up with. Hello. My name is Dr. Report. Here's my card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Thanks. Love I guess he didn't have to be. He could have just been. I should have said have like, yeah. I should have just said like, Henry report. Here's my card. Maybe I don't know. Mm. Write in. Tell us what Doctor Nur. <laughs> what Mister Card's first name should be in profession. Mister Card. His name is Mister Report. <laughs> oh yeah. You've blown it big. You yeah. had a great jingle, and then you just kept talking, and you ruined it. <laughs> Oh, what a disaster. Oh, oh, this is man. usually the segment where things fly off. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I haven't recovered from Asher's previous report card situation where he invented a scale so arbitrary as to not at all be a scale. Uh, so I, I mean, think everyone's looking forward to what you come up with this time. So I did take that to heart, and I did actually try to come up with a scale that everyone could agree on. That is literally what you said last time. <laughs> I mean, I still You're like this is an objectively clear yeah, scale. I still kind of worst thing in the world: that. archery. <laughs> Listen, the letters I flooded in saying I was right were like too many to see over. They mostly said we dislike your scale and we dislike <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so for my grading system, it's actually very simple, but. 
um, since the our man Weston is based at a hotel, like a resort hotel, mm-hmm. um, I've decided to do my rating system as hotel floors, with the lobby being the worst, <laughs> and then as you go up, the better the score is. So just numbers, numbers beginning with lobby. You'd think so. Okay. <laughs> but. Uh-huh. When I give you my grade, you'll uh, be eating your words. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so my grade for this book is the penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, how tall is the hotel, though? Uh, it could be like a five-floor hotel. It's a whatever the size of the hotel. It's the top of the scale. You're right. It's the top of the scale. So that's a great scale. Really, Penthouse, cool. baby. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us why. I'll tell you why. Um, so this book had a lot to live up to because, as we mentioned at the beginning, it was my favorite as a kid. And I think it's just like a, it's so impressive how he weaves like many stories that he keeps adding details to in a way that like is, you know, more or less sort of believable or like makes sense in the world of the book. Mm-hmm. And it's just like super clever. Uh, it's extremely funny. The characters, there's a lot of characters that are like really good. There was no character where like I didn't want to like spend a couple pages with them. Yeah. Um, I thought like as we know, uh, a lot of his his best books usually have like a climax that like builds and builds and then like complete mayhem happens that's like sort of ties everything in and that really happened with like the wiener roast and all that goes on during that mm-hmm. um i think that's like one of his best executed climaxes yeah um and yeah i just think it's like he was pretty young when he wrote this and i think it's like really clever mm-hmm. and well written and and i think that um yeah i had like one little nitpick which is the name is like pretty doesn't make any sense oh i love this <laughs> it's like in a passing comment in the final chapter of the book the that's one why guy I says our man weston yeah uh, so that okay well i'm interested to hear why you like it is it doesn't i'm like concerned it doesn't sell the book to someone that oh, is like looking at, through his books or like a bookstore or library for something to read it like doesn't do justice i don't know what i would name it but yeah it doesn't tell you at all what it's about yeah and yet i just think it's (laughs) i think it's an elegant title it is it's also interesting because there's like two westons that are both did Mm. great but (laughs) yeah (laughs) overall this is the penthouse it is if i would like say if you're reading uh if you're going to read a Gordon Corman book, this would be a good one to start with. Ooh. Wow. All right. Well, um, I think I kind of knew going in you were going to give this book a penthouse, but I'm glad that it didn't disappoint you upon your reread, for sure. Um, so I am today going to be using a Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat scale. Wow. Now... Um, fans of the musical and anyone really on the face of the earth should know that during the musical they list the colors that make up the dream coat 
there's like a shorter segment of listing colors and then there's a longer segment. So I'm just mm -hmm. going to use the shorter segment, which is okay. the coat was red, yellow, green, brown, scarlet, black, ochre, peach, ruby, olive, violet, fawn, and so on. But we're going to wow. stop. We're going to stop there. So the colors are um, on the scale in ascending order. So red is the lowest possible score. Fawn, whatever color that is, is the <laughs> highest possible score. For me, Armand Weston is a violet, the second highest. Wow, amazing. And there is a lot of, that's like a big scale. There's it's a, a big scale. Yeah. So, I mean, action packed the whole way through. It, it does, as you said, it's like what we loved about Zucchini Wars and some of the other books. The plot is woven together so intelligently and compellingly the whole way through and then pays off so well at the end. The only sort of main downside for me is what I kind of um, implied earlier, which is because we're kind of omniscient and we know everything that's happening as a reader, a lot of the plot developments and even the climax are kind of telegraphed for us. Like we know mm -hmm. in advance Cobber is going to fall asleep, for instance, right? right? right. Um, so that, again, it adds to like the humor that we're like in on the confusion. Um, but I do wish that like there were a few more surprises. Mm -hmm. that's so that's, fair. that's sort of like the main drawback for me. But yeah, I didn't remember anything about this book coming in. I like knew they were twins and at a hotel and really that was it. And oh, um, so I was worried it wouldn't deliver because it's been hyped up literally my entire life. Um, but man, is this a good book. Yes. Yes. You read like you read it as a kid, right? And oh yeah, yeah. I'd read it before, yeah. like a bunch of times as a kid, but I just really didn't I hadn't yeah. read it probably in the last fifteen years or whatever, and I really didn't remember a lot of it. Nice. Time for our final segment. Our man Corman. See what we did there with the and then this is when we tweet Corman live on air so here we go our man is corman he's our guy he likes to write about planes being flown in the sky that's it oh i loved it i liked it so much i was hoping for more uh verses i didn't want to risk it i thought i really nailed that and then i didn't want to risk yeah it. you learned from my mistakes yeah exactly <laughs> quit, quit while i'm ahead leave yeah. them wanting more okay yeah. but wait sorry you do make a good point though like anyone that is been listening but not like aware of his full list of books might have been confused why we called the segment army and corman until That's today true. so yeah now you guys know. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. Um, it would be, it's like kind of a nice, like our man Lurie. You know what I mean? That's like a nice. It is nice. We should work that more into more <laughs> daily convos. Um, okay, here is the tweet. Are you ready? Yeah. It says, hey, at Gordon Corman, we are recording our, our man Weston episode and we must know. Did the Pine Grove Hotel make the Midnight Wiener Roast an annual event? Hashtag Shakespeare. I'm going to send it. Yeah, I think everyone wants to know that. Yeah. Um, is it still at midnight? Why would it be at midnight? <laughs> um, that's our show. Holy moly, we did it. I'm shocked. 
that we did it. But <laughs> I just like just when I was thinking about it, I'm like, this is going to be like a 14 hour podcast because every line is technically we could mention in the plot summary. Mm-hmm. And just like dissect for like a lot of lines for their billions. Like the dialogue in this book is so funny. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty pretty proud of us and uh, really happy we got to talk about this book. It's got a special mm-hmm. place in my heart. So I'm. It's uh, been really fun talking about it. I'm really. I'm just really happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm glad you liked it. Like it was kind of scared. If you I was like, pretty scared. Like before yeah. I started reading it, and I was like, this might be what does it. Never this might be the, yeah. <laughs> this might be the final episode, depending on the reading. Yeah. But it's not because our next episode, correct me if I'm wrong, no coins, please? I think so. We'll have to look. But I do think that's right. I think it's I no will, coins, please. Yeah. They're technically the like first Bugs Potter book, I think, was written before these ones. But there's but we want to read them together. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we're, well, we're going to do no coins, please, because we own that book and it's just easier. Yeah. So, so don't give yeah. us a hard time. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Come doing on. No stop hassling us. Uh, we're really excited for that one because that's another another good one. And until then, thank you so much for listening. If you made it to the end of this pod, um, we're glad that you're here. You can follow us um, at Zucchini War Pod. You can follow me at Shira Lurie. You can follow Ash at Asher Lurie. You can donate to our GoFundMe if you want to ask us a question or get a shout out on the pod. What else can they do? You can tweet at Gordon Corman. He'll probably retweet you. Oh, yeah. He's nice. He's nice and does that a lot, which is great. Um, I, I think that's all they really need to do. But I guess I have a piece of advice to share as well, maybe. Okay. Um, so if you find yourself at the Pine Grove Hotel, mm-hmm. yes, you should beware of spies. Yes, you should beware of dogs and athletic trainers that love milk but above all else you should beware Beware the fish